Hi there, beautiful people of the world. How's everybody doing today? It's Elizabeth Danielle Pujadas. If this is your first time tuning in to Shine Brighter with Liz, I am so happy you are here. Today's episode is episode 33, but guys, I'm thinking for future episodes, I kind of want to do a little bit of what season one was and a little bit of what season two was and kind of let that be season three. What do I mean by that? If you've never listened to the episodes, if this is your first time listening, season one was a lot of me talking about things that I'm working through, revelations, things that like words of wisdom, something that I've read, something that I've heard, kind of just talking really vulnerably. Um, And then season two was more of a um, formatted version where I was speaking with people that I find to be lighthouses, but I kind of want to do both, right? Like I want to be able to have conversation with you guys. We can pop on the podcast and listen to like 10 minutes of like me just talking about some dope book that I read and the wisdom that I took from it or I've been doing meditation lately and like how that's been affecting me or whatever these things that I'm working through in my personal journey, how I can share that with you guys and some exciting things that I'm developing right now. So that will go into um, more of a conversation later, but for now, I cannot wait to share with you guys today's episode. Today's guest is none other than Jen Furlong. Jen Furlong is a dear friend of mine and co-worker. I actually work with her with the company that I work with, Actors Fast Track. It's a company where we help actors understand the business side of this industry. And um, she's one of the coaches on there. But Jen also has been a life coach herself. She's um, certified in yoga. She's a mother of four. She lives in a micro farm in Virginia where she tends to her chickens and her horses and her donkeys. Um, which she goes into the episode and talks about. But she also is somebody great because she is leading two of her children in this industry, Clark and Roan, um, into the entertainment industry. And Clark has had much success. You might have seen him in Euphoria, Prodigal Son, High Fidelity, and many more. Um, And he's super young, right? Like his career is just starting out. But Jen is really the mastermind behind her child's success. And if you meet Clark in person, he is such a down-to-earth, good human being at such a small age. And it really is such a testimony of who she is and what kind of mother she is. She's also writing a book right now, which we get into and we talk about in the episode. So yes, I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, we're recording. Thank you so much, Jen, for being on my podcast. It means so much that you're taking the time out of your very busy schedule to sit down and chat with me. I'm so excited to have you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Yay. All right, so we're going to dive right in. Um, I have the pleasure of knowing and working alongside with you for about a year now, but um, I'm sure some of my audience doesn't know you, so I just want you to Tell them who you are, um, what were you like as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up, and what has been your journey since childhood to now? It's a loaded question, I know. But. Gosh, that's kind of like six questions in one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, let's see. Uh, right now, I am an actor and a writer and a producer. Um, I have just completed uh, my first um, self-help book of all things. I did a lot of life coaching in my past. And this book is called Enough, The Real Person's Guide to Worthiness, Finding Self-Love, and Being Enough. Yeah. 
Yes. And I'm super excited to, to bring that into the world. A lot of my clients said to me after going through the, the evolution of contentment process that I created with my coaching partner, Sharpandi, they said, Jen, we really wish you would write a book about all this stuff and put it into a book because I want to give it to my brother, my father, my son, my sister, my cat sitter, you know, whoever they wanted to give it to. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I, this is the third draft and three's the charm. Like this wow. is the one where I like found my voice. I'm getting ready to go. So when I was a child, like just to like back up to yeah. your um, question, when I was a child, um, I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be a detective and a psychologist and an elephant trainer. I mean, just everything. And when I was 10, I really hated sports, like hate, like, like with a deep, fiery power in the bottom of my belly, loathed sports. And it's because I didn't see very well. I had an eye surgery when I was seven and I just never had good depth perception. So the ball always hit me in the head. Oh no. And it was not good for me in gym class. And I was very, very, very small for my age. So I was 12 and people thought I was eight and a half. So number one, I'm smaller than all the other kids. Number two, I don't see very well. Yeah. And so sports was not my thing. So my mother told me I had to go to summer camp. And I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do at summer camp? So at summer camp, it was a day camp right across the street from where she worked. She worked at a Methodist church. And... I had a choice between going outside to play sports and doing art or doing drama. And I thought, wow, I'm really crappy at art and the sports is an absolute no. So that only gives me one choice. I've got to go do drama. And they put this play in my hands and I had the tiniest role in the play. And it was really compelling. And I memorized all the lines of the whole show because you do. Yeah. And the lead kid got sick oh my the day before the performance. So the end of summer camp, we've all been there for, you know, five whole days, do you know? <laughs> and this kid comes down with God only knows what. He can't be there for the performance. So the director is trying to figure out like how she can wear the hat and she can be the, and I was like, no, I can do it. I know the lines. And, um, and I played that part. His name was Peter. It was some play about werewolves. We all turned into werewolves at the end. God only knows what it was, but I got in the car after the performance. I sat down next to my mother and I said, mom, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And she patted me on the head. She was like, that's nice, dear. And I'm like, no, <laughs> really? And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started working professionally about six months later. Wow. I booked my first commercial. I was finding my own auditions because in the back in the day, you could open the Washington Post and the audition listings would be in the back, yeah. in the weekend section. And so I found my own auditions and I just started showing up and I did a community theater children's production of Cinderella. I went to this audition and I was like, gosh, maybe they'll let me like play a mouse or something like that. Like I could be one of the little Cinderella, Cinderella, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she cast me as Cinderella <sighs> and it was, it was, it was off to the races from there. So 
the acting thing was hugely important to me growing up. I ran my own business. I cat sat, I dog sat, I babysat. I had a newspaper route. Um, so I always worked. As of what and age was that? I, I was 10 my when I had my first paper route. And by the time I was 12, um, I had like 15 clients for babysitting and animal sitting in my neighborhood. Wow. Yeah, live where there are apartments. That's the key, right? Wow, yeah. <laughs> but that's amazing. You always had like this hustle to you. Yes. Um, we were, we were in a pretty significantly low financial situation. And if I wanted stuff, if I wanted money, I had to go get it. Um, like there was no allowance. There was nothing extra. And so I, I wanted to have money. I wanted to like do what I wanted to do and buy clothes and, you know, even if they came to the thrift store. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I was actually the same that you mentioned that I, when I was a little girl, my mom used to, um, she had this cleaning lady that would come and clean the house, but she would always complain about this woman. She would throw the whole bucket of water in the house instead of just like mopping. Like she would throw it all, all the water on the floor. You know, she was from Cuba. She didn't understand how to clean like here, like you can't do that. You'll mess up the furniture. She broke our washing machine. She, my mom was always just like really frustrated. Um, and she just didn't have time to clean her house. She was always working and things like that. I was like, mom, how much are you paying this woman? I was like 14 at the time. She's like, I'm paying her like a hundred every time she cleans. I was like, I'll clean. Like, I'll do it. Like, I'll take on this job. Yeah. And once I, I just always understood the value of money and like what it could get me. You know, if I saved this up, you know, then I could go and buy myself some clothes or I could do, you know, I could do different things. And when mm-hmm. I was 15, I got my first job at a restaurant. Um, it was more of like a cafe. Um, and then ever since then, I just kept working. And I remember my friends of mine, I'd be like, my first waitressing job, I was like 17. And I told them, I was like, guys, I made like $72 yesterday. And then they were like, what? I was like, yeah. Like, and then <laughs> I, I made $72. Like, what did you guys go do? Go home and watch TV? Like, I'm making money. And I felt so good. I was like rocking coach boots to school. Like, I had like nice purses. You know, like all my money was just for me. And it was awesome. And I always loved the concept of hard work and money. And so that's awesome. There's a lot of power to making money. You know, money is just, it's such a beautiful, energetic tool. And it's like magic because you put money in your hands and you can turn it into whatever you want. Right. Right. You want, you want a nice dinner out? Poof. You want to pay your bills? Poof. You want fancy boots? Poof. You know, money is magic. You can just yeah. turn it into anything. And so, yeah, money was, uh, was a big motivating factor Yeah. Um, in my early early entrepreneurialism. (laughs) And it's interesting because you yourself are also a Scorpio. And I feel like sometimes when I hear you talk, I feel like we have similarities. And I don't know if that's from being a Scorpio or whatever, but you're obviously really into like um, health and wellness and helping other people. You're super entrepreneurial, you know, things like that. So, but let's keep talking. So then you, you went ahead and you got Cinderella. Um, what, what keeps going? Cause I know you definitely still had more successes come up in your acting career. Well, I refused to finish junior high. Oh, wow. Um, in Washington, DC, um, at the time you did junior high, which was seventh, eighth and ninth grade. And then you started high school and you could start high school at ninth grade, or you could go and do nine, 10, 11, 12, or you could start high school at 10th grade. And I said, I'm starting high school at ninth grade. People were like, oh, no, 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 no. You really should just stay in junior high. And I'm like, I hate this. This is not fun. I am leaving. 
And so I auditioned, I found out about the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Ooh. And I was like, oh, the skies opened up, the angels sang. And I was like, all I have to do is audition to get in. I'll do it. So I memorized my monologue and I, you know, yeah. went in and I auditioned and I made it. Wow. And so I went, the school was, this is the big miracle. The school was located like a mile and a half from my house. So I could walk. Wow. You no know, more traipsing, buses. And I mean, by mess, I don't mean the school bus. I mean the city bus. Right. right so like right. get where I needed to go. Oh, no, no. I could just like get up in the morning and walk through the park, down the hill, down through some beautiful streets of lovely townhomes and to my school. It was heaven on earth. Now my school day was 8.30 to five. So it was a big day. And Duke Ellington, you know, you do all your art, all your academics in the morning, and then you eat lunch, then you do all your arts classes, which is why the day is so long. It was, those people were my tribe. It was my home. I worked tech for visiting shows that came through the theater. I learned how to hang lights. I did follow spot for the shows that came in. I did assistant stage management. I, I mean, literally did everything except lick that stage clean. I did everything in that building. Right. And it was my home. And I learned from fantastic teachers. I learned from Sarah Marshall. I learned from Linda Gravatt. All these sort of big Washington... DC folk would gravitate to Duke Ellington to help train the next generation. And I was there at that time. So I graduated. So I started, I did a lot of professional shows while I was at Ellington because I could. Um, I worked at Roundhouse Theater. I did some community theater as well. Um, I did my first film and I really sort of got my feet deep into the DC theater scene. Um, I did the Source Theater Festival. Like, there was tons and tons and tons of work. And I was really tiny, and I looked really young for my age. So at 16, I was playing 11-year-olds. Yeah. When I was 12, my first play was at Source Theater. It was called A Cry of Players, and it was about Shakespeare. And I had a huge crush on the guy who played Shakespeare in that <laughs> show. And so I've loved Shakespeare ever since. Like that was the opening door to me to like start reading the texts and seeing the plays and getting involved with Shakespeare. I went to Oxford, England and studied Shakespeare. Like it was That's my awesome. bad. But I went, um, it was a very interesting journey because I was play. I was at that middle school, the junior high when I got cast at Source Theater and I was 12 playing a six and a half year old. Wow. Now they had to push it a little bit, you know, because yeah. I didn't quite look six, but I looked young enough that there was no problem. Right. And there was a lot of grown up content in that show. Right. <laughs> so I think they were happy to not have a real like super tiny kid in it. If only someone had taken me to LA and yeah. movies. But again, you know, when you are swirling in poverty consciousness, right. the thought of that is impossible. You can't be like, oh, let's just get on an airplane. It's going to cost $500 and let's get her there. That mentality was, it wasn't a mentality of let's just get on an airplane and figure out the money and take out a credit card or figure that out. The money, the mentality was this is impossible. And the mentality when you say that, like your, your parents didn't really see 
the big picture? Is that? Well, my mom was a single parent. My dad had taken off when I was seven, seven. And my mom was on disability by this point. And when literally you live on $3,000 a year in social services, you don't wake up in the morning and say to yourself, you know what? I can earn 500 bucks and go to LA. That seems like a really good idea because that's, you know, the land of opportunity for film type actors. And I only had stage experience, but TV was like this, this distant, fantastical thing, completely out of reach. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when you're raised in a theater environment, um, people are like, oh, theater is is the way you have to go. Like those people, they can't really act. They're selling out. I was like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So that, um, so that was very, very, they're very much how it was, but I did everything that I could. It didn't, it didn't even occur to me that I could earn the money and go get on an airplane and go to Los Angeles all by myself until I was 27 years old. 27. And is that when you first started getting into um, television and film or what was that journey like? Well, my first sort of bigger film, I had three lines in and I booked that when I was 19 and I was in college. And I told one of my professors, I was like, I'm not going to be here next week because I'm going to go shoot this movie in Virginia because I had driven home for the auditions. And he was like, yeah, 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 sure you are. And I was like, no, really, uh, I am. And I was gone and I came back and he was like, where were you? And I was like, I told you I was shooting this movie. (laughs) And he was like, well, I'm going to give you an F on the project. And I'm like, go ahead. I just shot a movie, dude. You know, I was like, really? Like, I'm in an acting program. I go to a professional acting job. And like, this is the thanks I get. <laughs> right, right, right. So many schools don't understand that concept. Well, it's a small, it's a small mind. Yeah. Right. It's a small mind. And so I, I bought in, you know, eventually to like the small mindedness. But I didn't actually finish college because that, that mentality was, was bothering me. Right. I was like, mm, I was the only, I, when I got to college, I was equity. Right. I was the only equity and SAG member in my college class. Nobody else had worked professionally, but they were the best out of their bigger pond. And a lot of them were taller and blonder and more gorgeous or more super charactery type, which I also was not. And so I didn't work at all in college. I was like, really? I'm only going to be in one play. I was in one play in two and a half. Yeah. Three and a half years. No, three and a half. No, two and a half years. I was in one play. Which is really upsetting because I had a kind of a similar experience with my conservatory, which it, the way that the politics of the school was set up was the first two years of your conservatory training was really a 72 hours towards the program. So you did 72 hours your first semester in crew work, whether that was stage managing, costuming, you know, um, anything, anything up, up above, anything that was in that kind of, you know, theater stuff. Um, and then um, the second two years was supposed to be like your time to shine. And all of the freshmen and sophomores would pretty much, again, like be your stage people and the crew and stuff like that. Well, for me, I didn't have them actually give me an opportunity till my senior year. Um, and I actually mentioned this in one of my last podcasts that my senior year, the first play, the fall play that was supposed to come out, they understudied me to a junior. Um, and I was so offended by it because it was like, 
I'm here for a bachelor's in acting and I've never been in a main stage play in front of an audience. I haven't had the opportunity to put everything that we're learning in, in class. And I mean, I was kicking ass in class, like top performances, like, you know, really, really just going above and beyond. And, and then my, my senior year where we're promised to pretty much have these main stage plays be about us and cast. And the, sh- the reason you chose these shows is because you're thinking of us in mind. It was given to a junior that I was like, you know, and uh, not to go into it just in case like that person's listening or people are listening, but she was, she was not healthy. Like she was suffering from cancer and um, they were like, Oh, you know, they ended up saying like, Oh, we're giving it to her because she has cancer. But I was just like, then, but what am I going to understudy for? You know what I mean? Like I'm perfectly healthy and I'm understudying a person that, you know what I mean? Like for me, I just didn't understand their philosophy around it. And it was such a small part. Like it, she had one scene and I was going to understudy this one scene as a senior. And the thing is like, if you were a part of a production, you literally were there from like classes started at eight, but then, you know, rehearsal started at five and you were there till 11 o'clock at night. And I'm going to be in rehearsal 11 o'clock at night. I'm not making money. I'm giving everything up for this one scene that I'm understudying as a senior. It's not going to happen. No, I'm an adult now. Like I have a life. I need to do things. I need to make money. I took out a loan to be here. Like it's not happening. I need to go work. I can't, I can't, you know, and they called me a diva and everything. I was like, I'm not a diva. I'm just, I know my worth. And I finally stood up for myself and I ended up getting the the spring production um, because nobody took it seriously. Like nobody in my school wanted to take, they, they were just blowing it off and it was a seagull. And I was like, I want either Nina or Kadena, you know what I mean? Either Nina or Kadena. I wanted to like work my ass off for it. And I went into that audition feeling like I was really the only one taking it seriously, made some great choices. And then I got cast as Arcadina. And it was like, finally, this feeling of like, if you take it seriously, if you like really work your ass off. Um, And it was the first time I actually got to like have a main stage play in my conservatory, which was awesome. And then we had our one person show, which is awesome too. But I don't know, I just, I think colleges and schools sometimes do have a lot of like this politics to it. And it's, it's hard when you're there, you don't realize that. It can, it can be tricky. It yeah. can be tricky. I mean, I, I have no, uh, no disagreements with higher education. Um, oh, yeah. And it's not for everybody in, in all circumstances. Right. You know, there's a lot. I mean, I, when I went to college, I left a very active career. And I would get calls. We want you to come in. Um, and it, I had gotten to the point in DC where I wasn't even always auditioning. Sometimes people were just calling me up and offering me parts, yeah. which was really sweet. Um, and then I went to college and that changed, you know, coming back in and re-breaking in was a, was a bit of an adventure. I mean, I did it and it worked well, you know, right. and I'm I sure you learned a lot and stuff like that. I learned a lot, a lot. Yeah. It yeah. was, it was, it was good. So <laughs> then when did you do get Buffy? Like, what's that story? So I went to Los Angeles. I had met, um, my husband. And he got married and he was traveling for work. He was traveling three weeks out of every month, 10 months out of the year. And I was like, well, what am I doing sitting here twiddling my thumbs? I'm going to LA. All my college friends moved to LA. I've got so many couches to sleep on. Bye-bye. So he was gone. So I was like, you know, I went out to LA and started sleeping on couches and I would be like a week with one friend and a week with another friend and then a week with another friend then start the rotation again mm-hmm. um and then when one one of my friends says you know we have a room in our house like why don't you just come and stay here for like 
a month at a time. And uh, I did. (laughs) I said, okay. And I'm super grateful to them because I never would have been able to do what I did without them. And people said to me, why have you come to LA? You know, people in my yoga class or at my gym or whatever, they'd be like, why, why did you come to LA? And they're like, oh, I'm an actor. And they're like, ooh, okay, next. And that was a bummer. So I said, I need a better answer. I need a better answer. So why am I here? You know what show? I really want to be on Buffy. I really want to be on Buffy. So people started saying, why did you come here? And I said, oh, I came to get on Buffy. And they're like, oh, that's hilarious. What a great answer. Do, 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 you know, what restaurant? But still, they, they took that a little bit more seriously, which was funny. Because like, oh, Jen wants to be on Buffy. That's nice. And I took an acting class, a fantastic acting class from a guy named Stephen Book, Stephen Book Acting Workshop. And I remember my audition for him because he interviewed everybody and he says, oh, well, why don't you come back next week? I need two contrasting monologues. And I said, well, how about we do those now? And he goes, you have two contrasting monologues ready right now? And I said, I'm a professional actor. I have two contrasting monologues ready right now. And he's like, okay, let's do them. And I did them. He was very grumpy, you know, like he's very like closed off and like, rah, 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 rah. but super acting coach. And I, that was just, a, that was like the facade. That was the, like, are you wasting my time facade? I mean, my gosh, the man lives in LA. He sees a lot of flaky people. Right. And he, he, he let me in to the class and I was there for, I guess, a year and a half. And I did everything he told me to do. I just did everything he told me to do. I did all the exercises. I did all the blah, blah, blah. And I got my audition for Buffy. I got a good agent. And I went to a casting director workshop with the casting director. And I met the casting director. And I kicked butt in the workshop. And another friend of mine says that she knew that casting director and also put in a good word for me. So it all kind of coalesced that I got to go in and read for three lines on Buffy and Joss Whedon was in the audition room. Like he just like picked me and I did all the things for my acting technique, for my class and I did it. And at the end he goes, well, that was realistic. And I couldn't tell if he was being sarcastic or if it was true, but then I got the call that I booked it. And so I was like jumping up and down. I was so happy. But I feel like that's amazing. That's so great because I feel like you really manifested that for yourself. You really said this is what I totally did. But I didn't see what I learned from that is that you need to be very careful about what you say. Because I said, I came to get on Buffy. So I did that. But what I meant was I want a series recurring on Buffy. Right, 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 right. I didn't quite say that. And what's funny and tragic all at the same time is that Eliza Dushku is on that show. And when I was 19, the show that I left college to go and shoot the movie that I had three lines, she was the lead. She was six. Wow. And so here we are many, many, many moons later, and she has the lead, and I have three lines. And I was like, oh. Right. And then I felt like a total failure. Mm. And I basically was like, okay, you know what? This sucks. Um, I don't, it's time to get pregnant. I don't really something about it. I was like, I don't think I want to do this right now. Like, I think I'm ready to go do something else. 
and be in charge of the universe and start producing stuff. Like I, I just, I don't want to be a three line actress. So that's not really where I'm going at home. I was like a very big fish in a very tiny pond. And, and this just was not, it was not fun. So that sort of began like the dark period. Yeah. Um, I had my four kids in six years and they were a delight. We moved back to the East Coast. That was wonderful so we could have grass, you know, to let them out. Because eventually my husband and I moved to L.A. for a few years and then we came back. And just to sort of make that long story very short, I had a big meltdown and I realized that the issue, um, I had some help. My best friend was a life coach. She was like, I don't think you love yourself. And I was like, you're crazy. Do you have any idea? I know exactly how talented I am. Do you have any idea? Blah, 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 blah. Like I was on Buffy. She was like, okay, okay. Just saying, I think you have self-love. And so then she left it alone. And a year later I had the same meltdown on the same couch. I just did. I'm so angry all the time. I don't know what's going on. I'm frustrated. Blah, blah, blah. I'm bored. And she's like, maybe you should journal into that is what she says to me. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And then some four little words came out of my mouth. I was like, woman, go journal into that. Like I'm having a major meltdown and you want me to go write in my stinking journal. And so I did exactly what she told me to do because I am an actor and I could take direction. And I went and I wrote in my journal and I figured out a ton of stuff. I figured out that her assessment that I did not love myself unless I was achieving when I was achieving things, I felt loved, but if, if I wasn't achieving, and let me tell you, as a stay-at-home mom with four children, each two years apart, nobody thanks you in the morning. And do you feel achievement at the end of the day? Not if you were, grew up in a creative profession where achievement meant somebody else saying to you, wow, that was amazing. Right. Right. So I didn't have anybody else waking up in the morning being like, hey, Jen, you did a really good job today. That show was excellent. Wow, your work was really, it was me, kids, farm, chickens, goats, you know, which I got to keep myself from like going crazy. And um, the moment when I realized that I did not have self-love also made me realize that the behaviors that I was exhibiting every day to get attention and to get acknowledgement from other humans were the exact behaviors I had seen my alcoholic parent display. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was an addict. Mm-hmm. I, was pra- I was addicted to praise, but I was exact. And I had, I had, I was like going through withdrawal. I was like, I, I'm spending every day trying to see, you know, ah, I'm going to be the mom that shows up at the, at the park with the chess sets achievement. You know, I'm going to have 20 chickens so I can sell eggs at the market achievement. You know, it was all achievement driven. And I realized how unhealthy, like what a mess I was, it was such a mess, yeah. such a mess. And I was yelling at my kids and I was crying every day. And on the outside, everything looked perfectly fine but I was a wreck. And so I said, well, got to change this. Like, how do you change it? And I'm like, well, well, go read what a 12 step program does. And I'm like, okay, I get myself online and I'm like, "Hmm, how do you do this? I said, all right, well, the first thing you do is you go cold turkey. Like you quit the thing 
that you're addicted to and you replace it with something else. Okay, how am I going to do that? So I realized that I was like making little phone calls every day. Hey, how you doing? Just wanted to see what was going on with you. I didn't actually really want to see what was going on with that other person. I just needed somebody to pay attention to me wow. for five minutes. And so it was a very weird, dark, painful place. Right. And I think that a lot of moms go through it. I don't think I'm all by myself no, in I'm that. Sure I think not. a lot of moms are lonely and cranky and we give up our careers. We give up these things that we want in order to have a family. And it's even harder when you try to do both. Do you know, it's like as hard to be a working one. People were like, why don't you just go back to work? And I'm like, I can't, I have four humans. I, I brought them into this world. I'm responsible for making sure that they have, uh, that they become fulfilled, like that they fulfill their potential. I'm not just going to like chuck them off. And then there's a mom who's like, well, I'm not giving up my career and I'm not chucking my kid off. I'm just going to find a situation that works for us. But I think all moms have a struggle of some kind of like, which, which, and it's all right. Do you know, like every choice is the, is the right choice. And every choice is the hard choice. There's no easy business in, in this modern age. Um, if you have a huge community and your family is around, I mean, even then it becomes a challenge. But I was very isolated, didn't have family nearby, didn't know a lot of people where we moved to in the country and all that sort of stuff. There was a great homeschool community and those women became my, my absolutely my, my, my friends and my rocks to, to lean on. Um, but I still felt like there was something, like there was distance between me and them because I had this drive to achieve. So when I went cold turkey, I was like, okay, no phone calls, no outgoing phone calls. I can answer the phone, but I can't call out. No outgoing email. I can answer email, but I'm not sending any. And I'm not going to go to the park days and I'm not going to like do all these little subtle things. I, said, I don't know how long it will take me to unhook from this behavior, but I've got to do it. And I said, well, you have to have something to replace it with Jen. Like you can't, you can't give something up in a behavioral way and then not have anything back. Right. So I gave myself a mantra. I said, what can I, what can I say to myself? Like what kind of self-talk other than you're a big fat mm, failure, yeah. um, which is how I felt. I had a lot of projects. I had produced circuses. Like I had done all kinds of interesting things that all never quite worked out the way I wanted them. So I had this really deep sense of failure. Right. And I said, all right, um, what am I going to say to myself? And I said, well, what's the belief? I said, the belief is I don't love myself. I'm only good enough if I have achievement, if I'm achieving something, if I'm successful, if I have a job in a theater or a movie or something, and I'm doing the thing that I do. I said, all right, well, that's messed up, girlfriend. So let's go in and let's find something. So if the belief is I, I don't love myself, then you have to say, I love myself. And I was like, are you kidding me? How stupid do you want me to feel every single day? Hang on, self. I said, just, you know, breathe. Here's the thing. You, have, you need to trust yourself and you need to know that you're enough. So I created a mantra, which is I love myself. I trust myself. I am enough woo, right? Like very fancy, not fancy. Yeah. And I would wake up in the morning and I would 
say to myself, I love myself. I trust myself. I'm enough. And I would cry because it was lies. It was not true. And I said, it's okay. Don't worry. Just cry if you need to. Don't worry about it. Don't get attached. Don't get attached to the emotions. It's just a thing. You're, you're in recovery. You know, my name is Jen and I'm addicted to praise. You know? <laughs> right. And I was like, you're in recovery. Like, just relax. It's all good. Everybody goes through painful withdrawal periods. This is, you can live. Okay. So I love myself. I trust myself. I am enough. I love myself. I trust myself. I have I love myself. I just weeks and weeks. And one day I said to myself, I woke up and I was like, oh, all right, I'm just not going to give up until this is done. I love myself. I trust myself. I am enough. And I didn't cry. And I was like, oh, what's that like? Hmm, this is interesting. And then weeks after that, I wake up and I go, hmm, I love myself. I trust myself. I am enough. And like, I felt good. Like I got this little tingle down my spine. And I was like, oh, is that it? Like, is this it? Like, did I cross over? Did I make it? <laughs> I'm like, you know, is this the beginning? And that became the new normal. And I would fall off every now and it's like walking a balance beam, you know, sometimes as you fall, you step off and you're like, oops. And then you get back on, you realize, oh, I feel crappy. I'm looking for it. Get back on the beam. Keep walking. Keep walking. And then I realized as I went back out into the world and started being able to interact with other humans again, um, that other people were not that different from me. Right. And I started to see, I started to see it in other people. And they would say to me, you seem so happy. Like, what did you do? And I said, well, do you really want to know? Because it's kind of an ugly, vulnerable, awful story. <laughs> and they would say, yeah, like, I, I, this thing you have, like, I don't know what it is, but I want what you have. And so my best friend, who had become this fancy pants life coach, and I decided to put together a workshop. And we were going to teach other people how to do this awesome thing. And she had gone through a fabulous training and she came out and she was like more her than I'd ever seen her. And I was like, I want what you have. Yeah. And so all of this kind of gelled into the evolution of contentment, which was our workshop and our process and other mostly at home moms showing up to make big changes. And I, we taught them this, I love myself, I trust myself, I am enough process and how to go cold turkey on your comfort zone. And we real, I realized there were different types, right? Like it wasn't just like acknowledgement, like there were people who were addicted to helping other people. And there were people who were addicted to being perfect, right? No mistakes ever. And I realized that, oh, there's like different types. Like people have different behavior patterns, but they're still the same thing. They're still addicted. They still don't love themselves. And the thing about not loving yourself is you don't serve anybody. Do you know? Like you can't connect. You can't have a real true divine connection. You can't step into who you are and your function in this universe and be able to really channel your true purpose, your, your sort of divine core into the world when you're blocking yourself constantly. Right. 
with judgment. So that's what, so I took on some private clients. So I did this workshop with my best friend and we let them choose who they wanted as their coach at the end of it. Cause they got like three free coachings or something like that after the workshop. And I was amazed that people actually chose me. I said, well, I'm not a life coach. Like I'm a guy, I'm an actor who had a problem and I fixed it. That's all like mm-hmm. yeah, act, acting technique outside in, fake it till you make it. Just pretend it's all going to be fine. Right. And we ended up, I ended up with a, with a thriving life coach practice for a while. And it was so rewarding and wonderful to hand people this little tiny thing and watch them blossom. It was just such a gift and an amazing, I just, I have so much love for all of my initial clients and and friends and the way that this turned out. Right. So eventually they were like, you need to, to write this book. And I was like, um, yeah, one of these days I'll get around to it. And so finally, I guess that was, you know, over 10 years ago. Wow. And now I became a yoga teacher after that and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And now my kid yeah. who is wanted to be an actor and I was like, yeah, no, I was like, no, I really want to be an actor. And I'm like, what about no, did you misunderstand? Like, we're not doing this. And we're doing it, you know? So now I, you know, he said, I want to be an actor. And I said, well, let's try something. And so we, we booked a TV pilot in New Orleans, which never actually finished getting made, which is super sad. Cause it was a fantastic idea and great footage, yeah. but which he booked with his sister, which was unbelievable. That's a whole nother story. Wow. But the end of the day is that he wanted to do it. And I said, well, you have to understand. You have to understand this about me, which is number one, if you want to do community theater and like your school play and like that, like, and do it for fun, I think that's a wonderful idea. And I fully support it. If you want to be a professional, it's go big or go home. I am not going down this path. It is a huge financial investment. I'm going to take out loans. Like if we're going to go down this path, you need to mean it. And he was like, nope, that's really what I want to do. And I'm like, you're 10. But I said, okay, well, I knew what I wanted when I was 10. So why can't he know what he wants when he's 10? And I said, all right let's do it. And everything has sort of have fall, has fallen into place since then. But it was a little bit different because I knew what would happen if I took my 10 year old to Los Angeles right. <laughs> and not living in a poverty consciousness. I was like, this is, a, this is how you do it. Right. And so he's booking like crazy and he's doing really well. And yeah. it's so, it's such a delight I don't, I'm not jealous of him. I go on set with him and I literally, I want to make shirts that say mom crew because like, I love doing my mom crew job. Like I love the fact that I get to coach him and I get to teach him and we get to do this thing. And I'm so grateful to him because if he hadn't wanted to do it, I don't think I would have come back to work either. And I mean, I shot a film last year that was, really exciting and so now my acting is back happening again as well and you know even more importantly is um to be able to 
Do I want to do more movies? Absolutely. Do I want to do a TV series? Absolutely. Um, but I need to be there for him. So now the time is to take this book and to go and speak about it and coach roomfuls of 300, 400 people at a time, even 30 people, 10 people, and bring this so that all of this work I did in terms of self-love and being enough can shift the energy of the world for other people, right? right? And when we all start making these shifts, the energy lifts for everybody. Right. So that's kind of where we're at now. No, and that's such a beautiful... Like, you know, Clark is doing amazing for those people listening. He's on um, Euphoria, and I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about the other one. Yeah, he'll be on Prodigal Son on, okay, cool. in October. Yep. Okay, so he'll be on Prodigal Son. And, he's and he'll be on High Fidelity. On yes. Hulu. Oh, my God. Is he on High Fidelity? Yep. That's amazing. No, and, and it's really such a testament to you, Jen, because I feel like you're such an awesome mom. You know what I mean? Like, you've really been able to – not even take a back seat, but say, you know what? I understand what it's like to be you. And I, if this is something that you really want, I'm going to give you everything I wish I would have had. And I think it's such a beautiful thing because this is a definitely a really hard industry. And to have someone like you as a role model to kind of be like, come on, let's do this. I feel like not every kid has that. You know what I mean? Not every kid has that mom that's willing to like, break down doors and make it happen. And it's such a good example to them. You know, it's such a good example to them. And Clark's such a good, like kind human, you know what I mean? And you have three other beautiful babies too. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing that you've been able to raise your kids to be awesome human beings. And then also you're helping him achieve his goals and on such a big scale, you know what I mean? It's such a testament to you and what an awesome person you are. And um, oh, thanks. I know, I know that you're, you know, you're going to definitely have like your TV moments and your things, you know what I mean? Like Clark is going to be all right. And I know that Jen is also going to get to have that, you know, moment for yourself as well. Cause you deserve it. You know, you deserve to get your TV show too. And I'm always like Thank you. thinking about that when I, when I think of you, I'm like, I, I want to see Jen too, you know? <laughs> Thank yeah. you. But that's but awesome with the book too. Cause like, I really do feel like, and that's even why I wanted to bring you on here because we've had our privates where we kind of talk and I've broken down crying and, you know, just like <laughs> the things you say are so good, you know, and, 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 you know, you taught me about listening to my body, you know, if I'm clenching or if, you know, something makes me feel weird. And I know that if I'm ever going through anything, I can reach out to you and be like, Hey, can we you know, just talk about this? Can you like coach me through this? And Yep, I think you're anytime. an amazing person. Yeah, I think you're an amazing person. And so this book, so it's it's called um, Enough. It's the real person's guide to worthiness, finding um, self-love and being enough. So obviously you talked about the journey of how that came out to be. And so what has been the process of like writing it for you? What has that been like? Gosh, you know, when I started it, it was really hard and dry and weird and I got an editor to work with me um, a wonderful woman actually from our old violin studio and she did a terrific job helping me formulate the second draft but I wanted it to be like I wanted to be like Angela Duckworth you know like I wanted to be like super psychology babe okay 
And I had actually finished my degree when I was 40 because I heard about this fantastic program at the University of Pennsylvania. I read one of Martin Seligman's books, Flourish. And I was like, him, I want to work with him. And so I went back to college and I got my stinking degree and I tried to make a psychology degree out of it so that I could get into the UPenn psychology masters, masters of positive psychology is what it is. And when I went back to college, the head of the psychology department was like, no, nope, four years. You can't do it in three semesters. And I was like, I have all the prereqs. Like, I just need to take the psychology courses. She was like, yeah, no. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So everywhere else, I went like as many routes as I could to get somebody to tell me yes. And they were like, no, if she says no, that's the end of it. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> so I got my degree in theater. <laughs> and because I had all these credits from my, you know, two and a half years at my other school. And guess what? The <laughs> University of Pennsylvania positive psychology degree said to my theater degree. They said, no way. So I didn't get to go get to be in researchy because I wanted to do research on this, right? I was like, I want to try this with 100,000 people and like see what, what we can do. Right. Okay, well, that wasn't a habit. So they was like, door in my face. I'm like, okay, great. So now what? So then I gave up for a little while and I just stuck it on the, on, a, on the shelf and I rewrote it and I tried to sound like all the psychology people and do all the citations and like, Egh. I was like, Jennifer, woman, this is not who you are. Yeah. Like, just be you. The truth of the matter is you're an actor. You did nothing but study human stinking behavior for three decades you can look at a human being walk into the room and you can be like, I know what your childhood was like. I can see it in the muscles of your legs. Like I'm a yoga teacher, therapeutic yoga, Ashtanga yoga. So I know how to read somebody's body. And I, all of these skills combined, I was like, I'm totally qualified to write this book because I have all this. And then there was another part of me that was like, you're a complete fraud. You yeah. can't write this book. That's ridiculous. You're an actor how are you writing a book about self-love and help and all that stuff? Plus, you know, people say, oh, guys, it's a stupid terminology. Right. So I said, you know what? I was in my meditation. I meditate twice a day. Wow. For 20 minutes each time. Thank you, Vedic Sound Meditation. Yay. It's called Vedic Sound Meditation. It's the, the fancy new modern version of Transcendental Meditation. Vedic, say it again. Vedic. V-E-D-I-C. Vedic sound meditation. I'm going to do this. It's super awesome. I went to LA and I had a friend who I was staying, I stayed in her guest house and had a workshop about, I love myself, I trust myself, I am not, right? Of my right. self-love workshop. And she said, let me trade you the workshop for teaching you how to meditate. Ooh. And it was really great. Um, and I was, I'd had meditated off and on for years, but this was a very specific way of meditating and it has like really is, really good for this me. is unguided just listening to sounds and just trying to focus on breathing yes but you use uh what's called a bijou mantra okay which is a mantra that doesn't make any sense it's like gobbledygook but you you harmonize that those the teacher figures out for you like what gobbledygook is going to help open you up the best 
Interesting. And so they give you a bijou mantra that works because you don't want anything that has any connotations, right? Om means peace. Like you don't want anything that means anything because you're trying to connect to the vastness of the universe and channel that through yourself and, and unite yourself, sort of take all of your molecules and make it the molecules of everything on earth, right? And divine energy and physical energy, uh, the, 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 the whole thing. Love so it. the, it makes a lot of sense to have a word that you're using that doesn't actually have any meaning to it because mm. you're trying to step away from conscious thought. Right. I understand. So, um, and if you have a healthy brain, it means you have thoughts. Right. So um, you're meditating and then you forget that you're meditating and you start thinking. And then you say, oh, whoops, I've, I'm meditating now. And so you go back to the Bijou Mantra and you go back to the quiet as much as you can get. And whoop, then all of a sudden you're thinking again. So one of the great pleasures of meditation for me is asking at the end, is there anything you need me to know? Mm. Right. What's it time for? Is there anything you need me to know? And it's like, it's time for the book. Oh, really? I kind of, I, I don't know. It's, you know, I had a different title for it. And I was like, I don't know. Right. Like, it's time for the book. I said, okay. All right. It's time. Do you book. openly receive like, I feel like there's moments, God, whatever you want to call it, energy, something telling you divine, whatever it is. I have moments. universal intelligence. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel those moments where I feel like that was not coming from me. That was not my thought. That was something mm -hmm. that was given to me, Yep. but it was Absolutely. a thought, but it was not my thought. And it was told to me. You know what I mean? That's right. And of I course. When I meditate, I get told a lot that I'm supposed to be singing. That I'm supposed to be mm -hmm. a singer, that you're supposed to be singing, that I'm supposed to play piano, that I should be focused on singing. And it's so weird because I'm like, yeah, I'm not a singer, dude. Like, I tell them all the time, I'm like, but I'm not a singer. And then anytime people like sing or karaoke or anything, like, like I love singing and I want to like play piano. So it's like, I always tell them like, I'll get to that. You know, I think it's like this thing I'm scared of, so I shy away from. Uh -huh. and, and it's interesting though, because if I look at my life when I was younger, like, as a kid, I always sang and I always performed and I always wanted to like, you know, sing for my family and I would dance and sing. So musical theater was probably the route I should have took, taken because I love singing, dancing and acting. But as I got older, I didn't, it was the enoughness thing. You know what I mean? I yeah. saw some friends that were better dancers. I saw some friends that are better singers, but I got, I was Zamsi and self-love issues personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it was like, I had so much praise as an actress. You're such a good actress. You're such a great actress. Well, then I was an actress. The singing for me, like, was not where I was getting that praise. You know, it was, yeah, it was more the, it was more the acting. So I felt like that was, that's where, and then I even, it's interesting because even for college, when they asked you if you want an audition for musical theater or for acting, acting was safe. Mm -hmm. theater was like I might not get in but then I look back and I look at the people that got into the program I was like I could have danced better than them I could have sang better than them why didn't I do it and then even for springboard after I graduated college I could have auditioned for the musical theater it was like a two-week intensive in New York and I could either do musical theater or I could, no but I'm a straight actress you know what I mean I'm a straight actress 
And it was like the safety thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because when I meditate, it's like, you're supposed to be singing. You're a great dancer. You're a great, you know, but it's this weird thing that like I push off. But when I meditate, it's like, it's like you're, you, you, you're letting go of the lies and you're actually hearing the truth. You are able to, um, unblock. Mm -hmm. And that's the vulnerable place is when you get information that you don't want. Um, so maybe you could listen to that information. So let me ask you a question. <laughs> it's like a coaching call. So let me ask you a question. Sure. You, Jen, when you receive something that maybe you don't want to hear or maybe it's scary, how do you walk into it? Like if your gut or your intuition is telling you, like how do you listen to it? Do you just go, okay, and go for it? Or like what do you do? Well, that's a, re that's a great question. Um, when Roan was one, my daughter's name is Roan, and when Roan was one, I was meditating and I received not this meditation, a different kind of meditation, but I was meditating and I received the information that it was time to become a yoga teacher. Mm. And I said, <laughs> no, I love being a yoga student. I'm not going to be a yoga teacher. And then I received the information again. It's time to be a yoga teacher. What about no, did you misunderstand? It's time to be a yoga teacher. Like it was very loud. And I was like, all right, fine. Clearly I don't have a choice. Like it's gonna, you can, you can only deny things for so long. So I said, you have to bring me the right teacher. Cause I'm not going to do it with like some schmo. I'll only do it with someone that I really respect. And I'm really interested in. So I set a boundary, you know, I was like tossed out the, the glove, you know, the gauntlet. And I said, let me see what, what happens here. So I looked, to, looked online for a couple different studios that did yoga teacher training. And I was like, and I went to those studios and took class. I was like, no way. Hmm. No way. Hmm. No way. I said, you got to bring me the right teacher. And a, a friend of mine said, you know, I've been going to this yoga studio and I really like the lady. I went to a yoga teacher. Uh, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and said, I went to a, I was just curious. Um, I went to a yoga teacher training, like pre-seminar. I said, oh, with whom? And she told me the person. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And then two days later, or maybe the next day, um, someone said, Oh, Hey, you know, I heard about this yoga teacher training. And I was like, oh. I said, who was it with? And she said, Oh yeah. And told me the name of my teacher, Suzanne. I said, all right, fine. Twice in 24 hours. I get it. I called Suzanne and I was like, hi, when do you do? Oh, it starts in two weeks. <sighs> okay. Uh, can we meet? She's like, um, She's like, oh, you know, we're, we're doing um, a practice together all on the back of our friend Stair's um, um, dock. Why don't you come up and we'll practice together and we'll see if, uh, if we're a good fit. Um, you know, we'll just see if it go, how it goes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. She's like, okay, bye. And I went up and I met her and, 
you know, she's very English. So she was a little cold, like not warm and fuzzy at all. She really, she had a beautiful practice. She was super strong. Clearly she knew what she was talking about. And I was like, okay, I can learn from you. I can accept your leadership. You seem cool. This is an interesting group of people. I'm happy here. And so I took her 200 hour yoga teacher training and, uh, and so I did it. So what do you do? The question, going back to the question is, what do you do when you get a piece of information that you don't want to hear? Um, you buck up mm. is what you do. Because if you, if it's a, like a book idea, right? Like you get a book idea, I need to write this book. Well, eventually the universe needs that book to be made. And so if you don't make it, the book, the album, the play, the new business, whatever it is that you've been given instructions to make, if you don't make it, the universe is going to be like, oh, all right, you, come here. I mean, how many people have had that experience where you go, that guy wrote my book. That was my idea. That song, I had just lyrics just like that in my song. Yeah. Because if you don't get your ass in gear and get it done, the universe is going to hand that to somebody else because they want it wants to be made. The universe wants to learn about itself and expand. And you can either help or not. Mm. And so if you receive information on a regular basis and you turn it away, that's your choice right? Like that's absolutely your right as a human being experiencing free will. Say, I don't want to do that. Could you do it anyway? Could you do it anyway? Do you know, like, why not? And so it becomes a, a question of asking questions. Like, why am I resisting this? If you can identify that you feel resistance, you go, wow, that's really interesting. Instead of being like, I shouldn't feel resistance, like don't should on yourself, right? You say, well, what, what is the key of that resistance? Oh, it's because I felt less than years ago when I made this decision that I wasn't going to do this thing. Um, how important, how attached do I need to be to my feelings of less than? Like if I believed that I would be successful and that this thing would be the path for me, would I do it? Sure. So there's lots of questions. So the first question, you know, my favorite question is what's it time for? If you feel, if you receive, what do I need to know now? If you receive information, like this is what you need to do. You go, okay, what's, what's the path you want me to take? How do you want me to do it? Right? Like ask for support. And if you still resist, then you say, why am I resisting this? Right? I mean, let's keep in mind, you know, I started this book in 2013. Oh, wow. It's now 2019. Sometimes these lessons that we have to learn don't occur quickly. Right. But if we accept that and we spend some time with, I love myself, I trust myself, I am enough, and eventually we remyelinize our brains so those things become, you don't have to believe it when you start. You don't have to like fake believe it. You just have to say it over and over and over again because your brain will translate what you say into your reality. That's how the world works. It's crazy, wow. but it's true. I want to get on Buffy. Look, what I say about Clark is he's going to have to wear sunglasses in the grocery store in the next three to five years because he's such a big star because yeah. people will stop him and want to talk to him. Yes. You know, 
Like that's how we phrase it. We're like, I'm making movie stars in this house now. Absolutely, Jen. Yeah, absolutely. Like talking that into existence and really manifesting the bigger picture. I love that so much. And I'm, I'm watching your mouth. Um, you know, I know we talk a lot that in Actors Fast Track of watching what comes out of your mouth because mm-hmm. that is what's shaping your reality. And I love that so much. So thank you for really breaking that down of the intuition. And I know for a second I felt like I was like just on a private call because I was just like, wait, but how do I do this? Because I'm really interested, you know, <laughs> I, I really am. I'm interested in knowing about that of, um, you know, even just meditating or praying or whatever people like to do. Um, I really find that silence is great and it does give you a lot. And I think what I know to be true of myself is that I try to control the verdict of my life. Like I mm-hmm. feel like God or the universe sometimes tells me this and I say, no, but I want this. And it's because I want this because this is how this is supposed to happen. And I want this because this will give me security and this will give me this. It's like, I'm always, I don't know how to explain it. I I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do sometimes, but I do it like this because I feel like that's a better way. I don't know if that makes sense. So here's, so here's the question, right? So the question when you have those dilemmas, like it's supposed to look like this. I want it to look like this. What if, you could live with the fact that you don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like this is where I'm going. I don't know the path. Tell me the path. I don't know what it looks like. My small human brain in this one body that's had this one experience. What if you could tap into all the knowledge that exists in creation? and let that inform your choices. Because maybe you don't know the best way. Maybe you do. Your, your intuition will tell you. you know, like the gut is a very powerful thing. So if you receive a piece of information, you say, mm, I received this piece of information. I don't like that information. You don't have to like it. You may have to do it. You don't have to like it. You can say, well, I didn't want to be a yoga teacher, um, but I did a lot of good. Many people's bodies were healed in my practice. It wasn't because of me. It was because of the yoga. They just needed the yoga. I was the, the conduit for that, for their growth and development at that time. So sometimes we don't know why we're given a piece of information or why we have the impulse to move into something. But if we do it anyway, there's much to be learned. Um, and that's kind of the point of it, right? Like we're here to learn more stuff. Right. And to not learn the same lessons over and over again. Right. So if you've learned a lesson, set it by. Behave as though that knowledge is part of you and move forward into the next set of lessons. Because those lessons are where the next layer of growth and development lies, right? Like, you know your potential, and what if your potential is more than you know? But you have to do this thing to get there. What if the singing isn't about the singing? What if it's about four people who are going to see you at some point and be like, that and this need to be together, right? Like, we, we don't know. 
how it's all going to happen. We can plan and plan. You know, Valerie, um, I've gotten some really great coaching in my life. One of my coaches, Valerie from Actors Fast Track, said to me, it's not going to happen for you the same way it's going to happen for other people. You're not going to be the walk into the office and get the agent and then start working like crazy. I just don't see that for you. And which is not to say it's not going to happen. It's just to say it's not going to happen in that way. And I resisted that for a while. And then, you know, in my meditation, it became clear to me that that in fact was true. That it's probably going to be a very different path for how I end up who knows? I'll produce my own movies and be in them. I don't know. Um, I don't know the route. And it's safe and okay to not know the route. Because every piece of information that you actually need is actually available. Right. And that is where we try to interfere with that universal intelligence. And we try to step away from faith in that. Because we say, my human brain, which is this physical thing that I see in front of me, I can trust that and I know that. And it is always possible that we do not know as much as we think we know. Yeah. So the things that we're, our desires, our deep desires, our seeds dropped in us from universal intelligence so that we can then blossom into those things. So if there's something that you want and you want it bad and you're like this, I am, I am truly willing to wake up every morning and give up everything else so that I can move in this direction. If it's powerful like that, then you need to be doing that. That's important. That's critical information that you're getting from your desire. If you're jealous of someone else, Jealousy isn't bad. It's a warning sign. There's something missing. There's something missing. There's something missing. That's what jealousy says. We had a friend who was, his kid was in a play. And I was like, I'm super jealous. The fact that his kid is in a play, like this is really stupid. And I said to my kids, do you have any interest in like being in one of these like little plays? And they were like, yes. I was like, oh, okay. But this is, that was as far as I was willing to let it go. I wasn't willing to like let them be actors, right? I was just sort of let them to go play in it. And that's sort of how it all happened. But those seeds, those seeds are windows of information, valuable information and knowledge. And they're an opening for us to jump in and say, hey, what is in this for me? Where am I? Where do you want me to go? And how do I follow the path with as little obstruction as possible? Right. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like it even comes down to the fact where it's like you almost start co-creating. You're like collaborating with the universe or with God or whatever people want to call it. Like there's times where it's like I feel like right now in my career, you know, I don't have – Jen Furlong along, like, you know, like Clark Scott is the mom. You know, like, I don't have that buddy, you know? I'm kind of like, come on, Liz, we got to do this shit. You know, I mean, obviously I have Actors to Track, the best yeah. community ever. 
and Valerie and people that are, you know, going before me, people like you and Scott and, you know, Brian and feel like I'm not alone, but you still got to, you know, you still got to grind and wake up and do it. And I feel like that's why I have to have my faith. That's why I have to have belief in God or whatever people want to call it. Like I have to be like, I'm so fucking scared right now. I am so fucking scared right now. I just need you to come in with me and be a light and walk me down. And literally the other day I I was walking to CBS and I had my general and I started crying just walking to the building. I was crying. It was that enoughness. It was like reminding myself like who little Liz was, like everything that she's gone through. You're going to walk in there. You're enough. You're meant to be there. And God was telling me, he's like, it was the most beautiful crying walk I've ever experienced in my life. I was crying and walking, just crying, but it was this gratitude. It wasn't a sad cry. It was a, I'm so proud of all the hard work I've done to allow myself to get to this, to this fruit. And he's like, one day you will win a big ward and you're going to have that same feeling when you walk and cry, you are going to cry and feel that same joy but it'll be coming from all of that hard work that you did. So keep walking this. So when you win that award and you have that same walk, you're going to feel the same feeling. Know that. And it was like, wow, I am like, it was like this conversation we were having and, Uh you know, and I always feel like my career is more of like this beautiful journey. I get to go on with God and really trusting him and being like, okay, this is where you want me to, and I'm always trying to figure it out. And, you know, CBS is something special to me because my grandfather worked for Sony records and for CBS. Uh. And when I was a little girl, I remember sitting down next to him and telling him, I'm going to be an actress one day. And he's like, what kind of actress? And I said, a comedy actress. And I just went in for a serious lead for a comedy on CBS. And it's, it's weird because it makes you feel like the blessing is from him. It makes me feel like, like full circle, you know, it's like a full circle thing. And like my brother just recently got a job with Sony, like PlayStation. And when he was younger, like he loved playing video games. And it's like, he always said like he would do something with that. And I always said I was going to be an artist. Like there was no plan B, never a plan B. That was yeah. it. And just to see like those little fruit come to life they're just so rewarding, you know, like they're just so full circle. And then you feel like, but then I'll have dreams about like NBC. I'm like, wait, I'm confused. Is it NBC? Is it ABC? Is it CBS? Like, which way are you trying to lead me? You know, all of the above. Yeah. All of the above. Right. It's a marathon. Yeah, exactly. It's a marathon. There's plenty of time. Absolutely. The jobs that are meant to be yours will, will, you will find your way in. Absolutely. You know, as long as you remain open, like we can block anything. Yeah. And I feel that like I was sharing that on the coaching call. Like I had did a similar thing to you that you said, I'm going to get on Buffy. I said I was going to get on Chicago fire or I was going to get on a Chicago show. And, uh, cause I was moving to Chicago. I said, I'm going to get on a Chicago show. That's it. Like, that's, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm moving to Chicago. I'm getting on a Chicago show. And my, um, you know, I was there for two months and I get a series lead audition for Chicago Fire. Yay! And I do the audition. But the, before I sent it, I said, do you really want to be on a Chicago Fire show for seven years? 
is that really what you want? You want to be a cop? Is that what you went through this training for, to be a cop on a TV show for seven years? I blocked it. I completely blocked it. I was like, this isn't actually what I want. And it was so weird. And I mean, I don't know if I blocked it. I mean, it was obviously someone else's blessing, but it was just so interesting how I had been telling the universe, give me Chicago Fire, give me Chicago PD, give me Chicago MD. And then here I am getting a perfect series regular audition for a reoccurring guest star with pretty much a series lead um, in Chicago, literally what I had been asking for. And then at the end, I'm like, but I don't know if I actually want it. It was like, come on, Liz, you know? <laughs> It's Trixie. It is. It is. All right. So I want to ask you this one last question. Um, I want to ask you, so what is your advice to young moms out there, either helping their child in a career, um, a dream? How do you help cater their dream? Um, how do you push for them in a healthy way? You know, mm -hmm. um, just what's that advice or just for moms out there in general? Well, first of all, being a parent is probably the most challenging job on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a child who wants to do this, the first thing you should do is say no. You should mm -hmm. make them beg. Because if they give up quickly and they would be just as happy doing soccer, please go let them play soccer. Right, this is not a business for the faint of heart. Yeah. So first thing is, number one, say no, make them beg. Once they've begged and they've convinced you that they mean it, then you need to make some decisions. Like what is local, what is close to you, what is easy? Mm -hmm. Right, what is available nearby? Start there, give them some experience. Let them be in a show. Let them be on set. Because they might find out that they like the idea of it, but not the work. Once you've had them so they've had a little experience, they actually like the work, and they're still begging to do it, then you need to make some really big decisions about your family. Because it's going to affect your whole family. It is not a hobby. If they want a hobby and to do community theater and local shows, do that. Please do that because it's a wonderful way to grow up. They can always go to college for theater and grow up and be actors later. There's no rush. If you as the parent want a business with your child as your business partner and your product, like don't have any illusions about what this is. Um, then you need money because depending on where you live, you're going to have to drive to one of the hubs, you know, sooner or later, you're going to have auditions in new Orleans, Atlanta, New York, Los Angeles, um, Chicago, like wherever you are. And so you need to be prepared to do that. You need to be prepared for them to be out of school for auditions. Um, you need to get them as much experience as you can and whether it's from backstage or local folk which are fantastic ways to start building your experience then you're gonna eventually look start asking other parents for their for who they use like who represents their kid when you're on set with other kids that you think are 
are like nice people and good actors, then ask them what they did and how they did. I mean, I have asked so many people for advice. I've had so many hands up from so many parents. I've had a friend say, oh, you need to meet this movie star's parent. You need to meet this movie star's parent. And those parents have helped me, have helped pull me up. I've listened to what they've had to say. They've taught me like how to, when it's time to do certain things. And so when you need information, there's always going to be somebody that you can ask and you just have to ask for help when you need it. Right. So, but I think the most important thing is to understand clearly that this is not a hobby. Um, if you actually manage to get <clears throat> sales representation as in an agent or a manager that does has great connections and does a wonderful job for you. If you're going to be like, Oh, you know, we really like we committed to doing the school play and we committed to soccer practice and we can't make the auditions and it's just going to be a little bit too hard. Just don't waste their time from day one. Mm -hmm. Like they need you to be present, professional, to not take it personally. Do not call them to find out why your kid didn't book. They probably picked the other uh, multi-ethnic kid. If your kid is multi-ethnic, they probably picked the white kid. Do you know, we, there's just no way of knowing. So um, you have to be, and you have to be ready to manage your child when they are not selected. It's not rejection. They're not rejecting your child. They're not saying your child is bad because they don't book. They're just saying that child wasn't the right child for this job. So you have to understand that too. Like it's nothing personal. You just got to keep going out there. You might go to 300 auditions before you book something. Right. If you're not willing to do that, it doesn't mean your child's no good. It just means that there's something in the package that needs to be different or it just hasn't been the right job. So there's a high level of acceptance that has to be in it. There's a high level of uh, Wolverine-like not giving upness that has to be present or that is helpful to be present. Nothing has to be. Um, but you need to understand that it's a business. You need money to start a business. If it's going to cause a financial hardship for your family to start doing this, don't even start because you don't want to be the person who's like, well, I can't do it. You know, you can start for free ish. Yeah. But eventually you're going to need photos that cost $400. Do you know, eventually you're going to need to have an, you know, a backstage account for a hundred dollars and then you're going to need clothes that are just for auditions and there's another hundred dollars and then it's just stuff. And then you're going to need training and it's building a business. Mm -hmm. It's not a hobby and it's not personal. If your kid doesn't book, if they do good work and you are cooperative and pleasant, it will happen. Yeah. And I feel like you've done such a good job of like, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I, I don't know. I feel like Clark is so humble. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he Thank has you. this really beautiful groundedness. Like He does. Yeah. And it's really, really inspiring. Because I've seen some kid actors that their parents feed into this ego. Um, and it's really disheartening because I feel like when I see those kids, it's, I don't feel like they're in touch with what reality is and how hard this business is. And I feel like you've done such a good job of, I see Clark being successful forever but he has this groundedness and this matureness and this it doesn't seem like his ego's in the way you know and he's had this success already and he's just so like 
hey, how's it going? He like, he can have like a regular conversation <laughs> and you're sure. like, you're so freaking cute. You're awesome. You're like a little, you're like a little man. Like you're so cool. Like I love talking to him. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Like how do you, how do you, do you have tame ego? Like has there been, or do you feel like that's just kind of who he is? No, it's, it's who he is. But I mean, I raised my children on a farm for a reason. Hmm. Like it's time to shovel some poop. Yeah. You know, like you get up in the morning and if you don't take care of those animals, they will die. So there's a lot of work. And, you know, Clark plays violin mm. and violin's not easy. And he's not the star of the show in this house when it comes to that. Like his musicianship, he works. Mm. He works hard every day. And so when you know he does chores and he works hard and so when he i told him and roan right from the beginning i said the thing you need to understand is that you're like your your job in this world is to be a productive contributing human being mm -hmm. and you're i don't want to say you're not special but like you're not special yeah. Like everybody has a purpose. Like you're going to do your own laundry and it's your turn to make dinner for the family. And everybody is going to have their turn where it's like everybody get out of the way. So-and-so needs clearance to get the thing done that they need to do. And so everybody has their moments where like they're the special one. Mm -hmm. They're the one that gets the, the shine, but it's not everybody's turn all the time. And so I think when you do something that's difficult every day, like, you know, Clark works hard at his musicianship and he can play, but it's not easy. It's not his, he doesn't wake up and it's easy for him. And even with every audition that we get, it's another opportunity for training. So he has to work, you know, and it, I think that that is part of what helps him stay um, balanced is that like he knows that he's really lucky like this isn't he's not entitled to doing this um, and this is a gift from us to him that he can go forth and do these things and I told him the very first day when we walked onto the set of Euphoria I said I need to tell you something really important before we go meet everybody. And he's like, okay. And I said, here's the first thing. You are not some kid from Virginia who doesn't deserve to be here. You are a leader. You bring the energy of a lead role. You bring, and who, who are those people? Are they jerks? They are not. They are loving. They are generous. They are kind. They learn everybody's name from the transport guy to the man who's making your lunch. You learn everybody's name because everybody is working hard. You are no different from the first AD and the gaffer. Everybody has a job. You just happen to have a kind of shiny job, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't make you different from anybody else on the set. So, and because you're shiny, you know, because you're going to be in the limelight a little bit, you must be a leader. You always walk on into the set, into the, you deserve to be here. This is your home. This is your tribe. These are your people. And this 
is what you do. You are a professional. And I said, there will be no, like, if you are worried about what you need to do, if you have a question about an acting moment, you come right to me. I'm your coach. I am here for you. I'll do whatever you need, right? If you have a question for the director, you ask it. I said, but what we don't do is we're not, oh no, what do I do? Like, you're not helpless. You're not a victim. It's not by accident that you got here. You wore that nightgown and those combat boots into that audition and you walked down the street in Los Angeles in a nightie. And you walked into an audition room in a nightie from Walmart. <laughs> you can do anything. You know, and he was like, okay. I was like, so remember, if you were the leader, how would you behave? Right? Would you be like, oh, I don't think I should introduce myself to that person. What are you talking about? Like, you have to train your mindset. You know, to be to be that way with your kindness and your generosity and your um, supportiveness of the whole group. And so I think he he understood that. You know, he understood what I was saying to him, and he did that. And now he knows how to do it. You know, now he knows how to go on set and be like, "Hi, what's your name? I'm Clark." You know, and this for this particular show that he just shot, he had a. a um, he had a second team and I said to him, and, and he had a second team that was just dedicated to him. He has his very own stand-in. And I said, do you see that man over there? And he's like, yes. And I said, do you see that the tag, it says Isaac slash, you know, in his name. And he goes, yeah. And I said, so I said, he is standing in for you. I said, so when they call first team and you walk past him, you say, thank you every time because he just stood there for 20 minutes. So you didn't have to. And he memorized your lines and he did that rehearsal for you for the cameras so that you didn't have to. So you be grateful. You remember that. He was like, I got it. And at one point, this, the double came up to, the standard came up to me and he says, your kid is the nicest kid I've ever met on set. <laughs> and I'm like, a little thank you goes a long way. Like to be truly respectful of all of the humans is very, very important. We're all working hard to make the same thing. You know, everybody, there's no, there's no above and below. Absolutely. Yeah. And every so that talk, we just made that clear. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Every time you talk about Clark and your guys' relationship and your journey, it makes me so emotional. It just makes me so, like, I can't help but cry when you talk. It's, it's truly so beautiful, Jen. You, you are an amazing mom. You are an incredible Thank mom. You. And the way you shepherd your children and, and really just speak life into them. And I think that that really shows, really shows in who these children are because of you, you know what I mean? It's really a testimony to who you are and it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I th I thank you for that reminder for myself. I mean, I always try to be that same human being, but it's really nice to just hear someone else say it to remind you like, Hey, you yep. know, no matter what. And it's true. It's true. I, I definitely try to do the same when I'm, when I'm doing anything or a festival, an audition or anything, it's a, a, a thank you really does go a long way. And it's an energy thing. I, I, I love the, um, the life coach, Jen Sincero. Oh, she's so you're a badass. I love her. Jen Sincero, if you're listening, I love you. I'm such <laughs> I a hope fan. she's listening. <laughs> totally fangirl moment. Um, her books changed my life. It's because of her books that I hired Valerie and, and so many wonderful really? people. Yep. Um, and the advice I got from my book coach, Jen, um, 
but the, I only, I only bring that up because I, so the other day she has, um, she has a new book out called you're a badass every day. Yes. And it's like little clips, like where you like open the book and you like pick your page and you read it. But I'm listening to it as an audio book. So I'm getting like all at once in my car. Like a powwow. So it's six in the morning, six 30 in the morning. And we, we stop at the sheets, which is where we stop on, you know, on route 15 coming down from New York. And I'd been listening to this section and I did the exercise that she suggested. I took push, put it on, put it on pause. And I did the exercise and I was like, so standing and like who I want to, you know, who in my potential, like I was really in my potential and I was feeling super open and super like rawr about yeah. everything and super psyched about where it's all going. And I walked into the sheets, which I do all the time. And usually there's a line of people and nobody looks up. Nobody looks up. Every single person in the line went whoosh, and like watched me pass the line. And I'm like, I'm like my sweatpants and a t-shirt, right? Like there's nothing fancy at me at six in the morning. You know, I'm not an especially striking human anyway. When I walk into a room full of people, I'm not usually the guy people notice. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm telling you every single person that I passed in that sheets, and it was like 15 people literally was like, like looked at me like for a minute. And it was <laughs> so I just what you were like, walking with, huh? It was what it you was, were bringing in. It's just what I brought it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what happens when you pull your real self up and open and walk into the room with that. It was yeah. hilarious. I was like, okay, wow. all right, I'm going to do this every day. Wow. <laughs> That is so powerful. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to first off say thank you so much, Jen. I could talk to you all freaking day. Like, I love you so much. I, I, I admire you. I see your tenacity and especially what you're doing for other people, your vulnerability, being able to just share all of that dark stuff and your childhood and how you've like come and, and really made this, you know, a business and life coaching. Also, you work with Actors Fast Track and also you, you know, helping your son out, but also not writing an amazing book. Like I admire you so much and I really look to you as somebody that I feel like I can talk to about anything. I'm very curious when you speak. I, I love to pick your brain at things. Um, so I'm just so grateful to have you on the podcast to have this conversation so that way other people can hear it. And um, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for being vulnerable and for sharing. I really, really means a lot. You are so welcome. The The timing of this could not have been more perfect. I, I needed a deadline and you gave me one. Yeah. So I, it was really, it was a gift to be here. So thank you for having me. Yeah. And what, when I said, let's do it at 10 o'clock, you said the timing was perfect is because you needed a deadline for it to be 10 o'clock. Well, it's because um, I said the timing is perfect because I had been stalling, finishing okay. the draft of the book. Cause I just, I don't, you know, cause you block yourself cause you stall. Right. So I've been like, ah, oh. and I said in my meditation, I said, I need a deadline. You need to provide me with a deadline. And later that day you were like, Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And I was like, aha. <laughs> so now um, that this is actually airing, the book is available and the audio book is available. And so people can follow me on Instagram or we can, yes. um, you can send them a link and all of the things that, uh, 
that we've been talking about today. People can go get lots more information and dig around in it on their own and I and write to me about it. And if it's horrible, let me know. And if it's glorious, let me know. And what are your problems? And does it work? And all that stuff. So Yes. And when, I, when the episode airs, I'll put all of the links and stuff like that um, into your Instagram, to Clark's, to awesome. all of that stuff and to the book and stuff. So again, thank you so much, Jen. This was You're an welcome. amazing conversation. Yay. Thanks for doing this. And there you guys have it. That was episode 33 with Jen Furlong. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. I know it was such a pleasure for me to record it. It actually almost felt like it was a coaching call at one point because that's how we coach each other. She'll be talking about vulnerable things or I'll go off and ask questions and be really curious. Um, she's a great friend of mine, so I really hope that you guys really did enjoy that episode. Um, I'm so excited for the new guests that I'm going to be bringing on the podcast. I have some pretty exciting people coming on and like I said, exploring these new ideas of what creativity looks like. What does this form look like? Um, I had done a poll recently on Instagram and asked you guys like, who do you want to listen to? Do you want more people in the industry? Do you want people not related to the industry? Um, and I got a little bit of mix. A lot of people were like, stick to the industry. And a lot of people were like, give this something different. So I'm going to shake things up a bit. And I just really want to be consistent, creating different kinds of content and reaching you guys. Because at the end of the day, the, really the reason I'm doing this is just to serve. I really feel like sharing is caring. I feel like when you learn something, when you discover a treasure, whether it's wisdom in yourself, in your journey, I think it's your duty as a human to share that with the rest of the world because you never know what you just found, how that can help somebody else in the journey that they're walking through. How your darkness that turned to light, you can share that light with someone else and give them a hopeful future to say, oh wow, I'm not alone in this. And that's really my biggest purpose in this world, I feel, is really just to be a light, to be a woman of God. And um, yeah, whatever that means to you, for me at the end of the day, it just means serving people and loving on people. So I hope you guys really did enjoy this episode and then I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you think this podcast is dope, subscribe because it is dope and it's going to get even doper. Um, so yeah, subscribe to the podcast, um, like it, share it with a friend and be sure to tune in next week for a new episode. Sending you guys much love and light and remember to always keep on shining. Peace.